Welcome to Cage Free Voices Radio, an innovative educational entertainment radio show where youth and young adults have the opportunity to reflect, connect, and transcend internal and external barriers. We are your hosts, Bathsheba Smithen, or you could call me Sheba, and Joanne Nelson Gerbier, or you could call her Miss J. She will be joining us for the next few episodes. Welcome, people. We are getting ready to talk about self image resolutions and intergenerational collaboration. This is part one of that series. Get ready for the new year. We are excited about this. We have, we're going to be interviewing Viku Shek and Felicia Adair. Right now we have with us at the, as the first part of this episode, Mr. Viku Shek. He is a 17-year-old singer-songwriter adopted from Romania. That's right, Romania. Um, as a baby, Viku lives with his family in Maryland, and he performs in the D.C. area and enjoys an ever-expanding and enthusiastic following. His musical influences range from Michael Jackson, everybody has that influence, Usher, and more, mostly Self-taught Viku plays acoustic and electric guitar. I can't even teach myself how to play the electric guitar. It's been sitting in my house for about the last two years. I'm trying to learn on YouTube. So this guy is phenomenal. He's also taught himself how to play the drums and piano. Going by the name V-I-C-U Viku, he has just completed his first EP. After completing high school, Viku plans to join the New York City... He, plans to join the New York City and LA musical communities. That's right. Viku has been playing and performing for three years. And this man has, I mean, he could play every instrument. And if you, when you hear him sing, you will be blown by the fact that he's only been doing this for three years. He has played at the Kennedy Center and at the Lincoln Theater through the DC Arts Program in 2016 and has performed at over 30 open mics. He's been busy and has studio clients where he helps them record he helps them arrange and he also helps them with singing writing and he collaborates on their music talk to the people Viku yo what's up what's, what's going up, what's on up? be here thank you for having me I'm so glad that you decided to come out and give us a little bit of your time considering that you are very busy and please share your age because I always do this every episode. I ask everybody who gets up here to share their age because I think the fact that young people are doing so many things in our society and um, overcoming a, a, a number of barriers speaks volumes to the adults and those of us who are, feel like we can't get a whole lot done. So let us know how old you are. I'm 17 years old. I'm going to be 18 this January. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm going to be 18 this January. Um, and everybody questions it. It's the beard. But everybody questions it. And everybody's... Um, people aren't used to, to kids my age starting young, as young as I did. Yeah. But you have to now. Why, why, why do you think so? Why do you think young people have to start so early? Because, you know, not so long ago, a man stepping up and singing was, was like, that's not cool. Mm. 
Then there was Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> then all of a sudden, he getting girls. Guys want to sing. They want to get girls. <laughs> you know. But, you know, overall, it's just like there's too much talent now. There's too many kids my age that are selling out arenas. Right. As, as, especially with the advent of YouTube and social yes. media, it's really easy to get your information out easy. there. And I know you said like a lot of um, young males are like, yeah, let me go ahead and sing because I want to get the girls. But talk to us about how you use that gift to remain cage free. What does cage free mean for you? Cage free. Um, you know, at this point in my life, it's, it's the most tricky. You know, it's 17, turning 18, you know, this whole high school you know, the four years have been, you know, the toughest time, you know, dealing with just finding myself as a person and as an artist and that um, it's, it's taking time. It's taking time and I'm, you know, trying to, you know, develop good habits and good qualities as I go along with it. But um, as I'm growing, the music is really growing and it's yeah. fast. It's happening really fast. So when you talk about finding yourself... Um, talk, tell us more about that because I know part of your bio states that you were adopted, right? And you're right. from Romania. How does the, the adoption process, um, factor into your music and everything else and your identity? Most definitely. Um, you know, after, in my situation, I, I could have been left there. I, there was definitely a chance I wouldn't have got picked up anyway. I could still be there right now. I could be dead right now. Yeah. So, you know, when I was five, showed early signs that I was musical, um, yeah. picked up singing, and I ran with it because it was like, there was always that I, sh I could be dead right now. You know, Why do you I, say you could be dead? What was going on? It was poverty. It was poverty. We were... You know, I have an older sister and a younger sister. Before we were adopted, we weren't getting any food. What? We were born with, like, nothing. Literally nothing. Like, I heard my parents were, like, living and, like, taking care of us out of a shed at one point. Like, a shed. Like, a dirt floor shed. And then, eventually, we were taken into um, a foster care. And then um, from there, it was definitely a step up from a dirt floor. But in terms of attention, like the early stages of being a baby, they really need attention. Yeah. It's like the whole touching and just feeling and like just everything, every sense is the like nurturing. It, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference because most of the time the babies are just left there just crying all day. So I, I'm trying to. This, this is, um, I mean, I'm trying to p put together the puzzle pieces because you're giving me this um, incredible story of how you started off like a based and you're, you're, you seem like this very driven person. How does, how, how do you take all of that and put it, or do you put it into your music? Um, and does music help you through that process of understanding more about your identity? Um, yeah, you know, and with, with the whole background of that, it's just knowing that that was me. That was me. That's, that's still a part of my story. It'll always be a part of my story. And the fact is that I made it out. Lots of people didn't. 
lots of kids didn't make it out. So the fact that like I'm sitting here right now, like compared to them, I'm about as privileged as it gets, which is true. In a lot of ways, I'm definitely privileged, you know, to be able to come home to a home. What? How would you explain that phenomenon? Why, how would you explain you being the person? Why do you think that happened? Why do you think you were granted that grace? I feel like I've, I've asked myself that a lot throughout my life. It's just like, why, why was it that, you know, they chose us? You know, why, why was it me? You know, why was it, you know, any of my siblings? Why was it, you know, there was tons of kids they could have they picked up. They could have picked up anybody. And babies all look the same. So, you know, you could have, oh, wrong one, you know. <laughs> so do you still connect with your siblings? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, but one of the things, one of the things about adoption that people don't, don't see a lot of the time is, whether you were adopted out of the situation out of a similar situation as I was, or you were just out, straight out the hospital, put into good care, and then you were adopted later, either way, there are emotional, emotional backlashes to lots of extents. My younger sister um, took a lot of the beating in that area. She developed a lot more emotional. She just, it showed, she showed it the most that she like really didn't get that attention and care that she needed. And it really showed through. And we all have, with my family, with my siblings, we all have emotional issues to a certain point because of it. Because of course there was, you know, that time period where it's like, you know, who are they? You know, are they alive? Are they not? You know, will I get to meet them? Like, does it, does it even matter? Like, you know, there's, there's always those questions, but you know, it's just pushed me to, to points like, I can't really explain. It's, it's just the, just knowing like, regardless of why I was chosen to sit here, (laughs) just with you right now, regardless of why it's, it's not up to me to ask that question. It's sort of just like the fact I'm here is just take advantage of it. That's great. I, I love your response. And I can't, I don't, I don't, I can't even fathom what it's like to not know or to, to be adopted at such an early age. But I do know what it's like to not know relatives and yeah. not to know your your family history. Like all the questions that come with that, the things that people take for granted, because although I grew up with my mother for 18 years, I don't have a relationship with right. her. And I haven't had one with her since I was um, around 19 years old. So exactly. the things that people take for granted, like um, when you go to the doctor when you go to the doctor and they ask you, okay, so what's your family history? Like, do you have a predisposition toward X, Y, and Z? And you're left thinking, okay, I absolutely do not know. So let me not check any of these right, boxes. Right, right, right. And it seems like it's something that's negative, but at the same time, it's a plus because you don't have a box to put yourself in. Right. So you think beyond those limitations right. because nobody is there to say, hey, you know, this is where you came from. It's it's a plus and it's a minus. At yeah. the same time. So um, in that vein, I understand a little bit. Um, and I know that for me, I take my music, 
I I use um, all of that in my music and in my spoken word, right? Like when I'm performing, that is not just about um, giving back to other people, but it's in some, in some, in a lot of ways, it's very selfish. It's a way for me to get my emotions out. And at the same time, others get to benefit from it. And I'm not saying it wholeheartedly, like it's not about benefiting other people because I do want to see young people and those who, um, and adults and just people in general benefit from that. So I know for me, I started, um, you know, going down this path of performance and ministering to other people because of specific events in my life. So I'm asking you, was there any life changing moment, right, that fueled your music career? Most definitely. I was seven. Uh, I was born underdeveloped. Um, I was born without a hip my right leg so I had a complete hip reconstruction I was seven um that led to a lot of bullying growing up and that sort of pushed me to I had to find something I just had to find something because it was like coming to school wasn't easy making friends wasn't a problem just in terms of like being able to communicate with another person was never an issue with me but to get even the opportunity to communicate with that person before they judged you beforehand was always a struggle. Um, and that pushed me, I had to find something, you know, to like fill that gap. It's like, all right, they don't mess with me. All right, that's cool. So what can I do? Keep myself busy. What can I do? I gotta find something I'm passionate about. I gotta find something. I gotta focus on something. I gotta make something. Just anything, just, just for me, just because. Because at the end of the day, it's like, if I have something in my life, like most people don't find that passionate thing that they have. Like they could be talented in lots of areas they have no idea and they'll never find that one thing they were passionate about. Since I was in the seventh, sixth, seventh grade, I knew I was gonna do this for the rest of my life. That's 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 incredible, and and I know you said that um, like some people don't find that passion, and there are certain things that you do along the way. I I know that that successful people do along the way in order for them to keep moving in that direction and to to kind of hone in on what their purpose is. They look at their passion, and so what images or visuals would you say you focus in on to help you kind of keep going in the in the direction that you're headed in um i just look around i just i just look at people my age i just look at them as a whole that's enough just walking around like it's there's so many i've just seen so much talent and so many i've just seen good people just go to waste just off just being young, just thinking high school's it, just thinking like this is like the last chapter of the life when it's just starting. And, um, you know, but, you know, high school, kids get into drugs. Like I just got, I got to see firsthand what not to do. So I, I'm, I'm interested in your take. And we talked about, we, we had an offline conversation prior to, you know, getting getting on um and recording you talked about 
the the school dynamics yeah. and your take on it is you know you've gotten to see people make mistakes and what not to do but some people look at what other people are doing and they're easily influenced and they want to do the same things so what makes you say that's the wrong thing to do right i mean right. It, okay. and i don't think i don't think it's like a a a a, a, mint, a thing where you're born that way to be wired to know the difference that's just like my personal perspective. Sure. So what what made you see things differently than others? Okay, so I'm so happy you asked that question cuz I needed to bring these people up. Um so third in the third grade um I ran into these kids. They were at the time they were I was in third grade so I was around 8 and then they were 15. They were in, they were in high school. They were like 15. And um, I was just this little kid. I lived across the street next to a rec center. I go over, I play basketball, and I talk all kinds of smack just to get a game <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah, I used to do that. I'd say anything <laughs> just to get a, get a mad and get a game going. I'm like three feet tall, and they're like, yeah. you know, five foot seven, and I'm just like, come get some. But like, <laughs> you know, they, they're twins, um, Demetrius Cook and Irvin Cook. Um, and they both had mentors at the time. And those mentors sort of showed them because they didn't have a good relationship with their father either. You know, I don't have the best relationship with my father either. You know, it's like a, you know, it, it happens. So he had, well, the coach stepped in and he was a mentor and he filled the gap. And, you know, I got off the phone with Demetrius. I was just with him the other day. Um, and he's been that person to me. He's been that mentor, you know, it was like just being able to make me aware of things. And I hung out with him all the time. It was funny, dragging around an eighth grader, you know, not even an eighth grader, like a fourth, third, fourth grader. And like, they brought me to their um, apartment at the time they were working. So um, they had a home studio and that's when I first was like, was that like <laughs> and um I could already kind of sing it was like a lot of potential versus mm -hmm. it being up front yet but it was there um that was 10 years ago it's crazy that was wow. 10 years ago but they've both been there for me like nobody else like nobody some, else. there is something about coaches we interviewed um I think they're the interviewee right before this one, the last episode, and he talked about the impact of a coach. And for me personally, I think it was at the age of 13. He's still in my life. He's my godfather. But he was my track coach, and he took me up under his wing and helped fill in the gap, right? So I, I absolutely understand what you're saying in regard to that. So that helped to frame frame the way you see things because you had a mentor and um now that you've come to this place and you know what it's like to be struggling with your identity, you know what it's like to see people devastated and not doing the right things. Um, what makes, how has your, your, your journey, in addition to being accepted, accepting of all people, um, I guess I'll reframe this. What would you say to those listening what would you say to them? What messaging would you provide to those who are divisive and, you know, not accepting of other people? You don't know who that person is. You don't know where they're from or what they're going to be 
one, two, five, ten, twenty years down the road. You could be kissing their feet twenty years from now. Come on. That's real talk. That's real talk. I've seen it go down. I know somebody. It, it's gone down. I've seen it happen. The man kissed his toe. It was horrible. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. But you, you just never know. Like I, personally, me, like, not like I said. Up until eighth grade, I had no friends. I didn't. I didn't really hang out with people. I was bullied. And then eighth grade, I met this girl. Her name's Amandine. And um. I mean, at the time, she was very mature for her age. So she was um, already a couple years past the rest of the kids, maturity-wise. Yeah. And she was already on topics of finding herself that, like, they're, like, back here. And Shut she's, like, up. all the way over, over here. And that was incredible. So the first day I met her, we went, first day we hung out, we went to a park, and we just sat and talked. It took me until I was in my 30s. <laughs> I mean, my 20s. I'm not well into my 30s. But it took me until I was in my 20s to start crossing that bridge. Right. And I think there are people who are in their 40s and their 50s who haven't even begun yeah. asking that question. So, I mean, it was a lot for her. You know, it was a big thing with sexuality for her. She loves girls. She loves girls. It's, you know, she... She was. She didn't. She didn't know, but she you know. She made up her mind about it at a very early age, and you know, since then she's been my best friend. Like, except for my 18th birthday, she wants to take me to a gay bar. I'm like, you know, if it wasn't you, I'd say no. But you know, that's like I'm. I have to be there to support her in any way I can, just for. Her happiness, just because. So you're talking about love and another... So you're talking about loving all of who she is. Yeah. All I mean, of who she is, regardless of whether or not you agree with some things. Um, you're just loving her. She's just... she's The point I was getting at that was that she's... She taught me to stay open-minded. And there's... I don't care what shape you come in. Like, I judge you by what... By your character versus what you look like or how you are, or what sexuality you are. That's like, sexuality is like the 1% of the 100% of a person. Like, it's very important. You and this giant preacher. It's just truth. <laughs> like, for real, like, I've just like, I just be sitting having like conversations with myself about this. And it's, it's just crazy to me. Like, I just see. Like, I am not my, like India Ari says, um, I am not my hair. And you could take that so many different places. Like, I am not just one faceted, faceted, you know, I I am many things. So don't put me in a box and, and base, base who I am off of just this one facet, right? Like, not, um, because some, and, and we were talking about like what do we say to people who are divisive, right? Those people who disagree because we could disagree about a lot of things, sure. right? You know, there are some things that I might disagree with you on, um, you might disagree with me on, but at the at the end of the day, it's all about love. Yeah. It's all about loving people for who they are, where they are, regardless of the decisions that they make. And I love that you brought that point up. So that's that's awesome. Um, and so now I want to talk. I, I want you to get to. I want you to sing a little bit up here. <laughs> your incredible gift. 
and, and, and we're going to wrap up pretty soon. But um, I want you to give the people a little taste before we get to um, one of your tracks that you that you have. Um, Cause I mean you're incredible. I I was listening to your music before you came in here. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so um, do you have anything that you want to perform for us? Um. Yeah, I should have brought the guitar. Should have brought the guitar. Um. You just want something original? Yeah. All right. Let me. Let me take this. All right. Um. I'm just go acapella on you. All right. I'm gonna go acapella on you. Did this when I was 15. This is the first single. I sat down um, with DJ Flex from 95.5 and um, we had his crib and, and we, we wrote this and we, we did this song and it was like, okay, you know, many, many Justin Bieber slash Usher type thing going on, but yeah. Okay, I got to remember the lyrics. I got this. The moment I laid my eyes on you I knew there was nothing I could do but fall Just fall, just fall And girl, it was just you standing there And girl, nothing else could compare to you To you, to you Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> that was good, man. That was awesome. That's the incredible Viku Shek. And we're gonna get a chance to listen to his track. Um Spiritual is it's on Matthew, the music producer, Matthew Shell's album, Spiritual Relationship, the deeper meaning called Dance Shake. Oh, that thing will make you dance too. So um Looking forward to to listening to it. Here we, here it is, guys. This is Dance Shake. Viku is at the very beginning. Bruce, tell me what you want to do. Let's dance. Put the baseline in overdrive. I can go Up against the wall I'm impatient for the groove And I hope you like the show Cause I never wanna let you go Baby, won't you take my hand Cause I only wanna dance We have part two coming up for this intergenerational episode. You don't want to miss it. Sentence was so mean, mean saying things they don't, don't mean. mean. So I start to pray. 
Yes, Felicia. I love that song. Every single word. It, it's it's an amazing you. song. So um, Felicia was introduced to music at an early age. Her musician, singer, father, and her late mother who sang, wrote songs and directed the choir were the influences that shaped and encouraged her musical talent. She has been singing all of her life and she really started to take music seriously at the age of 14 when she answered the call of worship on her life. Felicia has had um, numerous experiences with um, her music and a lot of her music has been in response to her, her experience with her father. Um, she started, again, she started to take music serious, seriously at 14. She was encouraged by her Sunday school teachers. She began to seek the Lord at an early age for confirmation of her destiny. Shortly thereafter, she wrote her first song, Get Ready. Many other songs would follow. And by the age of 16, she started a group and started touring to local churches and in order to share the gospel through song. As an adult, Felicia has taken her project solo and is excited to share a new sound of worship that incorporates all of the musical influences that she grew up listening to. She is currently working on a new project that includes the writing and musical collaboration of multiple talented writers and producers that helped her capture her journey and create a worship experience in a new and refreshing way. That song, every single word, captures it all. So welcome, Felicia. Say something to the people. Hey, guys. How you doing out there? Thank you for tuning in. And thank you guys for having me on the show. Well, we are, we're I'm honored. Thank you. Excited to have you. So just to get started, um, I want you to, to talk about, because you, you, you said a little bit about how you want to have this worship experience. What got you to the place of wanting to worship? Was there ever a time where you felt mentally caged? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, probably about six years ago, my mother, strong, independent woman. Say that again. Um, my mother, who um, is a strong, independent woman, um, had a medical emergency. She had a stroke and um, it put her in a coma and things just kind of, you know, went out of control. It was like a whirlwind. And mentally, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. And worship was my outlet. I really started to seek answers to what was going on and needed to kind of hear from God about what is the situation? How could I navigate this? And his word was right there with me. His presence was with me through hospital situations, through all kinds of things that you just wouldn't believe. And I saw his word work. And so I have a different appreciation for his presence for his words, for the love that he has for his children and just um, how he just helped me walk that journey. I'm so grateful. I'm so a lot grateful. Of, a lot of people don't go immediately to worship when things happen in their lives or negative things happen in, in their lives. Did you have something that you wanted to say, Joanne? Actually, I, thanks for being so transparent because the whole time you were explaining yourself, I was nodding my head because I personally can relate. When trials hit me and life happens, that's the only thing I know to do is to turn to worship and to turn to God. Yes. I don't know yes. any other way. 
It took me a while to get there because when it, <laughs> when 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 everything hit for me, this was 2014. And, and 2014 was when I kind of like turned it around and realized I needed to worship. Right. So yes. <laughs> that second devastating blow. I was like, <laughs> I, I remember talking to my girlfriend, Sabria, my sister girlfriend on the phone and I was using all kind of four letter words. Like I was just like going <laughs> off and I'm being completely real no, uh, because when real. you go yep. through stuff, I mean, let's, let's take off the mask. Let's just really talk. So when I was going Amen. through, I, I started cursing at everything and I'm going off on the phone to my sister and you have to have those people that you can be authentic and genuine with. And so she said, that Sheba, will love you Anyhow. Right. And she said, Sheba, you need to read your word because that's what's going to keep you rooted. And I said, I don't want to read it. And grounded. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to read the word. Like, I am not in a place right now where I want to go in my Bible. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you, did, you need to listen to it. And I, I remember that real? it resonates. It still resonates with me. And so I would just like bathe myself in worship and listening to sermons in those times where I just felt like I didn't have the wherewithal to go and yes. pick up my Bible. And that's real talk, right? And I'm, I, I'm glad you're being transparent and you're really being honest with it's it. But I'll be honest with you. It takes time and years. Like I wasn't like that. You know, when I was in college or in high school, I wasn't turning to the word in my younger years. In my younger years now, but um, <laughs> by the time you get to your late 20s, your 30s, life really starts hitting you and you realize that, wow, I really need God. So, yes. Well, I'll be transparent and real and just say initially when everything first happened, I was angry. Honestly, I was angry with God. There you go. And I went to him and I'm like, I need some answers. So I went on a three day fast because I wanted to hear from him. And when I Went on the fast, he gave me some scriptures about the disappointing vineyard. And he was wow. letting me know that I came back to find faith and I found fear. I came back to found, uh, you know, I found doubt and unbelief. And just because your situation has changed doesn't mean that I have changed. So mm. I was convicted. And I, I said, you know what? Either this word works or it doesn't work. Come and I on. There you go. The word works in go. my life. And he showed me miracles that you just won't believe. The doctor said she'd never open her eyes. I saw eyes that were closed, still shut, open. I saw Amen. limbs that move, begin to move using this word. So worship became my tool. It became a weapon. Like when I went into yes. this situation and doctors were saying the worst, I would go into worship and I would just elevate him above the situation and things would change. So you know, it it is a it was a journey. It wasn't just something where I just, you know, took the word, yeah, I'm gonna worship. No, I lived this thing. And when you have that kind of experience, nothing, nothing can can take that away from And me. you know what's so beautiful, Felicia? When you go through those experiences, <laughs> the next time life happens, you know exactly who to turn to and what to do. Exactly. Exactly. And exactly. so, and, and, I mean, the word can only do what, what it said. It's the same word that he used to frame the world. And it's the same power in those words that can change situations. So unless I had lived it and seen it, you know, um, I got a different perspective because of what I, what I have seen. But I thank God for it. 
Right. So every single word oh, I we love have to song. rely on. And, and it's important how we speak those words to ourselves. And so I had to change my language. Like many of us have to change our language and how we speak to yeah. ourselves and our minds first. Right. Before we yes. can speak um, power into anybody else or empower anyone else. So. I love that. I love the song, the power of words. Every single word is important. And um, that kind of helps us transition into talking about what's going on in our society and not, well, in particular in the United States. I don't know the Dallas area that well, but I imagine that there is a, a... and an enormous an enormity of different type of co- types of conversations that are being had and the words that are being used that are impacting other people's lives right and so i know in yeah. dc people are very frantic and there's tension and 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 that tension has set in and definitely some divisiveness and how people are communicating with one another but there's also a different set of words that are being used to create unity um and a, an incredible amount of people working in the be, working behind the scenes to unite so as mm-hmm. an african american woman in the in the texas area what would you say has been some of your greatest challenges with the communication there and the words or um, since the election or have you had any? Yes. I mean, um, definitely as an African-American woman, as a professional woman, it has been a little bit tense. It's very similar to what, what you explained. Um, you know, here it's, it's a little bit of fear fear of either the same of, you know, more of the same or worse is what people are, women are afraid of. Um, in the professional world, in a male dominated industry, um, in a sexist and racist environment, uh, it's very hard right now. It's, you know, you want to be looked at as a credible, intelligent person with respect, not as an object. And when you hear things come across the media, that's contrary to that. It's, it's frightening. It's almost, um, I, I think back to when President Obama was running for office against Mitt Romney and the comments came out about the, we have to look through binders uh, to find qualified female candidates. You know, now it's the tension of thinking, are we there? You know, is that what's going to happen? You know, for qualified women who have advanced in the education, who have a lot to add to uh, you know, in, in their professions, we want to be taken serious. And so you don't want to be, have to, have to be considered. It's it's very tense right now. Um, it's very tense. Yeah. And, and I can hear your concern in talking about it. And so you, it sounds like you're concerned about whether or not women will be taken seriously at all. Is, a, am I correct yes. in that? Yes. I mean, when you hear uh, the president-elect, you know, come out in the media and talk about women and their bodies, flat out racist comments, you know, uh, coming out in such a uh, blatant, disrespectful way, then you wonder if it's, you know, it's almost kind of like if he's the head of the country, where's the country going to go? What direction are we going in? You know, we made so much progress as a nation you don't want to see anything set us back. And, you know, for some of the things that happened during the election and some of the things that have come out, it's, it's just a little uh, concerning, especially being a mother of a a young woman that I want to be strong and intelligent and, 
and to, you know, to, to have no fear of, um, competing professionally or, or whatever she decides to do. I want to make sure that, you know, she's respected and, uh, taken serious. And I just, there is a huge concern there as far as leadership and where we're going, if that's the mindset. So we, we just interviewed Viku Shek, who is 17, and he shares some of the very same concern. He's Romanian. He was adopted from Romania. And some of this, he has some of the concerns about people not accepting others and women not being accepted is a part of that too. But I think we have a deeper issue, right? And, and that issue didn't just start with the election of this president. I think um, it is a representation of where we are as a whole in the United States, right? And so yeah. what is it, uh, while there is a fear, while people are frantic and using all kinds of words and words that are uni- um, words that unite us and words that divide us, I remember Viku saying he said you don't know you don't know that person right so if you before mm-hmm. you um, look down on somebody before you're divisive you need to get to know somebody and so what would That's you right. suggest um, is the next step like despite whether or not you agree with who's going into um, that you know into that office or not what are the next steps for this nation I think that, you know, just on a personal level, I think that it's important to be able to con- to be the best individual that you can be, to be the person that doesn't have judgments and to make sure that, you know, you can can spread love and not hate. I think it starts with with the individual level first and then, you know, influence other groups to do the same and have the mind the same mindset. I think for the next generation it's going to be very important that we are good examples. So regardless of what's going on in the in the political climate, I think that we have a responsibility as individuals to raise the bar and to be excellent in our communication with others regardless of race or gender or or you know religion or or background. I think it's important that we set the stage for the next generation because they're watching us. But as a Christian woman, you know, I I I feel that I have an advantage because, you know, uh, I, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. So I've got a different set of goals when it comes to unifying and bringing hope. I got a different message that I'm trying to bring. So that message supersedes everything, you know, that's kind of going on right now. And, um, you know, I feel like professionally, socially, economically, I will advance because, I'm advancing the kingdom. So when I'm making things work right. for him, he's going to make things work for me. So while I am a little bit fearful, you know, just on the personal level, I do have this advantage that I want others to know about. And that is the thing that I feel like is going to bridge the gap is to bring the ultimate hope into a world that is hopeless. I like what you said about embracing everybody and Love transcends everything. Viku alluded to that too when he told a story about his best friend who happens to be homosexual. And he said, you can't just focus on the 1%, right? So 1% of me is not a reflection of all of who I am. I love that little boy. And so I think it is our job, whether we are Christian, whether we are Muslim, whether we are Buddhist, or whatever our religious background is, our job is to love each other. And 
the communication that we use has to reflect that we do love one another. Love wins every time. So referring back, that's right, Joanne, love wins every time. Love conquers all. (laughs) Love wins. It is. Love is a powerful tool. It's, It's the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind. It is a powerful weapon. It's a perfect solution to all of life's problems. It does start with love. And, you know, people take that for granted. People say it and they use it lightly. But love, I mean, can can melt hate. Love can bridge gaps. Love can, you know, bring unity instead of division. Love is a powerful tool. It is the most powerful tool that exists. And, you know, again, because I'm a Christian, God is love. So when you're giving someone love, you're actually giving them the essence of God. So it is the most powerful thing that exists ever. So referring back to our first question, um, when we talked about the time in which you felt mentally caged, a lot of people right now are feeling mentally caged and they feel like they may experience some physical entrapment. So how Mm -hmm. can people be free in the midst of what they consider to be turmoil and chaos? You know, I would probably say the only thing that I can 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 offer as a solution uh, in a in a situation like that is only what I have experienced, and that's the only thing I can talk about. When I was hopeless, I went to the one who gave me hope, and you know, it's it's not just a cliche; it is exactly what you know, what I lived, I was hopeless. The doctors gave us absolutely no hope. And even in the end, when I lost her, there was hope that, you know what, she didn't have to continue to endure this physical world, but she got a chance to transcend and actually be with the father. So even in that, I still win. And now I have a passion for helping other families that were in that situation. So it's like you can take your situation and you can let it defeat you, or you can take the situation and let it empower you to go help the person that was that's feeling hopeless like you were feeling hopeless, or help somebody get out of the situation. It's like if you got the key because you got out of the situation, go unlock somebody else. Go help somebody else. Don't keep that to yourself. You know, it's it's it was meant for you to to make you stronger. But now that you're strong, go help somebody else who may not be as strong. Go give a face to the name of depression or give, go give a face to the name of oppression or hopelessness. Go give a face to that. So somebody else can say if she made it out of it, so can I. I I always say that your misery becomes your ministry. Yes. So what, what makes you cage free Felicia? I would definitely say, you know, what makes me cage free is my worship is having the ability to express what's going on on the inside, my gratitude, my appreciation, my love, you know, for all of the things that, you know, God has done for me. Um, After a seven-year battle with infertility and doctors saying I needed a surrogate, God gave me a beautiful daughter that wasn't Oh, I saw her too. She's gorgeous. (laughs) Thank you. So the only thing I can, you know, you know, the only thing I can give is what was given to me. And that is hope beyond hope. I mean, they pretty much sat me down and just said, you know, we've done everything medically we can do. But even when things look impossible, give God a try. 
is the only thing I can suggest. That's the only thing I know. It's the only thing that has ever worked for me. And it's the only thing that has made me cage free. I'm free. <laughs> so, so Miss J is over here like, I love her. <laughs> me too, Joey. <laughs> um, so we would love to um, continue this conversation because it's been awesome. But oh, we well, just want to enjoy myself as well. We want to thank you for being here with us and taking out time in your busy day and for sharing such a powerful testimony. Thank and we'd you. also thank you. We'd also like to thank Impact Hub DC for sponsoring this show. Um, our engineer, Mr. Matthew Ashton, who so graciously engineers. Our break music was provided by your girl, Bathsheba. Yep. Or you can call me Sheba. That's right. Yes. Our theme song, <laughs> we have two, Downloaded and Insanity. And then, our, we, again, we want to thank our sponsor, Impact Hub DC, for sponsoring this show. Thank you for joining us for this amazing episode. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and tell your friends to tell their friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with us at cagefreevoices.com. Remember to see yourself, even if the world is blind, reflect, connect, and transcend every barrier that will try to carry your voice. Be cage-free. Amen. <laughs>